Hello and welcome to a new and long-awaited episode for Radio Life Ray. I have chosen a topic near and dear to my heart, which is testing and which I was always curious about. How does testing at LifeRay actually work? And lo and behold, I'm not alone. In fact, we are three of us. And in reverse order of alphabet, that is Victor Ware, somewhere in North America. Hi, Victor. Yes, uh, I'm in the Los Angeles office for okay. LifeRay. And uh, that is Christopher Onias, or uh, going by the nickname KC. And he's not quite in the LA office, I know, but very close to it. Hi, KC. Hi. Yeah, I'm just 10 minutes away from the office, so it's pretty close. Okay, and luckily not in the car, but uh, in a, on a solid internet connection. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you both are dealing with LifeRay's... Uh, testing infrastructure with the tests with the hard and software i guess and luckily or lucky for me you have volunteered to answer all of my questions and curiosities and i hope that we have something to learn in the matter of what does liferay do in terms of testing and uh well how do how do we actually cover this but first let's go into you personally so what, uh, who are you and what are you doing here? Let's start with, uh, again, with Victor. Yeah, so I'm Victor, and I work in the, the main QA department for LifeRay. I'm actually on the, um, the team in charge of Portal, um, our main product. Uh, I've been here for three years. I'm working on Portal for three years. I'm doing testing on Portal for three years. Um, and I, we... Are actually, our team is actually divided up into sub-teams um, that are responsible for different areas of the portal. Um, so I'm responsible for um, the parts of the portal that are developed in our Brazil office, which is uh, forms and workflow, um, calendar, and some other smaller parts of portal um, that I'm in charge of. And KC, who are you and what are you doing here? Yeah, I'm Christopher Onyas. I go by the nickname KC. I been in the software testing industry for almost 10 years now and i've been working at liferay for almost eight years i started in qa when i was actually the fourth member uh, added to the qa team and i've seen a lot of growth over the years i was on the team when we were trying to release some version of 5.2 it's been a long time so i've seen a lot of technology evolution and i've been through a lot of the uh changes over time Oh, yeah. And the sizing, I guess. So you've seen different sizes uh, yeah. of the testing infrastructure. And with, yeah. with eight years, you have more time in LifeRay than I have. I've just recently finished uh, or, or started year number seven. Finished? Started? There's all these off by one errors that I can't just concentrate on right now. So I'm <laughs> Congrats. <laughs> I'd say I'll, I'll, with, I'll be with seven years. Okay, let's go. So we do testing. Let's let's pick one of your uh, technologies that you're working with. Is that uh, rather unit testing, rather integration testing, and um, like what what part of the testing are you are you there for? Is that are you actually using the UI, or are you maintaining the scripts, the test routines that uh, that actually execute the automated tests? 
Um, yeah, I can I can start. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, in primarily in our QA department, we are concerned with the UI and the functional testing. Um, so we we use a framework based on Selenium that we've developed in house um, in order to do all of our UI testing. Um, so what we do is we write and maintain those functional and UI tests. Um, as well as um, working with pretty close with our developers to um, develop the to think about those tests to develop those tests um, and to also have lots of conversations with the developers about um, other levels of testing um, so whether that be unit testing or integration testing um, we have those conversations um, generally at liferay the developers are the ones writing the unit and integration tests um, I've personally written a few integration tests, but generally um, I just write the functional tests and we have our development teams um, writing our integration unit level testing. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just had my first thought when you said something based on Selenium. My last time that I've been working with Selenium is, I don't know, ages ago, probably before I joined Liferay. So luckily in Liferay, I did not have anything to do with testing. Uh, I don't know if I can say luckily, but uh, well, I didn't. And I I was just right now wondering how well does Selenium work with the single page applications uh, framework, with the SPA framework? Does that work well? Um, we, we've definitely had some, we had some growing pains with single page application, um, but we've basically been able to make it work. Um, what we've done is we've taken um, basic Selenium and we've written a framework on top of it that allows us to add or change functionality um, so that we have a little more control over testing the specifics of issues like single page application. Um, like when that initially came and started being applied to Liferay, it was it actually broke a lot of tests, um, but we found ways around it and ways to deal with it. And so now it's not much of an issue. Ah, okay. I've heard, and this goes uh, right into the rumors that I've heard, I've heard that Selenium is actually running on quite a lot of computers day in, day out, or is the main testing infrastructure used for something else? Is that, I, mean, I don't know, do we have a big farm for Selenium? Is that a single computer or is that something that is just running from time to time? Uh, how, do, how do you maintain or how do you run all of these tests? Yeah, so that's kind of a, a little bit bigger question, but um, we do have a server farm um, that runs all of our Selenium tests. The server farm is also responsible for running all of our lower level tests, for example, our integration tests. Um, we actually spend a lot of time running integration tests because we will run integration tests on every single environment we can get our hands on. So the server farm is also spending a lot of time running those as well. And so, yeah, but I think we, we have... We have um, a lot of servers here in the LA office that we use in order to execute all these tests. The reason it's a bigger question is because um, we use a continuous integration environment um, and a pull request tester um, that we run a huge body of tests on every single code change um, that gets merged into our um, central repo. So we have to have a lot of servers in order to um, continuously run tests on every code change we're doing. Yeah, I've been hit by a few of them. 
it's been a while ago, but uh, back then several commits have been lumped into one CI test, I think. And I've always been hit by, hey, there's a, an error somewhere in this and that pull request or this and that commit set. Lucky enough, I was never the uh, the one responsible for that failure, but uh, I've been hit by a few. It's always hard. Is is that uh, changed now? Is that a single commit now in or or a single pull request uh, in one change set, or is that still lumping in a lot of committers into one thing? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're we're doing it on every um, pull request. So it's the the idea is that we want to test it on the smallest group of changes, and the reason for that is because um, it makes it easier to identify root causes of regressions. So if there is a regression, we don't want to have a, a large change set to go through and try to identify what caused said regression. Um, so that's why we do it on as small a change set as possible. So it's generally just a, a single developer's uh, pull request that's been reviewed. That's good. And that's the pull request towards the library repository or, or even to another code reviewer? It's both, yeah, to, to other code reviewers as well. Um, the idea... With our testing is we want to catch bugs as early as possible mm -hmm. um, because it, the earlier you catch the bug, the easier it is to fix it. And so that's 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 what we prioritize is catch or catch bugs early and catch bugs often. That really opens up the question for the scale. I don't know if I understood that correctly. I don't know, Christopher, are you rather the one to talk to about the scale, about the machines, or uh, is that just my wrong memory and impression? Um, I actually don't work with that infrastructure. Um, the testing that I do is completely different and separate from what the portal team does for testing. Oh, okay. Yeah, right. And we didn't really introduce what what actually uh, you do. I mean, what would be your, uh, your central area of work, right? Right. So yeah. I mean, I can probably answer better questions of scale. I just don't know how specific you are interested in. Uh, let's um, go for numbers, just sheer numbers. Yeah. Um, I, I don't have the raw numbers in front of me right now, but um, we run um, each pull request actually runs like if you were to to count just server time and count end-to-end um, -end time, we're looking at like days of time worth of testing that we run um, on every pull request. Um, the way we are able to do days of time in a very short amount of time is that we're running everything concurrently on many, many servers. Um, so, and I'm, I'm actually probably not the best person to answer this question either because we have a, a dedicated department within QA um, that's responsible for maintaining that server infrastructure. But what we do is whenever a pull request is sent, we're distributing that code out to potentially hundreds of servers, and then those are all executing tests in parallel um, on that code and then reporting back to us um, the results of all of those tests. So we're able to split up our testing in small pieces. Let's go with order of magnitude. Hundreds of servers, is that like two hundreds, five hundreds, or almost four digits? It's 2,500, um, I think. Yeah, total. Do you say 2,500? Yeah, 2,500. Whoa, that's a significant electricity and air conditioning bill. Yeah. <laughs> uh, initially, when I ran some metrics on how many pull requests we get globally a day, I think we were um, in the hundreds, like maybe around 150 a day. 
150 pull requests. Maybe across all the projects. Because we still have some pull requests running on, uh, I believe, 6.2. For all the maintained previous versions, all the enterprise editions that are maintained for seven years, that also needs to run, right? So it's not just master, it's also all of the existing branches, all of the backports to uh, the new CE, GA versions, and to the enterprise versions, which are way more frequent. Right. Well, there's there's some serious uh, computing power. Uh, so I think the last time I've heard about the, the size of the server park doing that, it was in the order of magnitude of 150. So it's now tenfold, oh, obviously. Yeah. Yeah, I think 150 was back when we were at the uh, old location, right? I, I don't know. It's like ancient knowledge, and that was uh, one of the reasons why I wanted to to talk to someone and hear how this actually developed and, and how it scales. Yeah, I think before, um, when we were working out of the loft in uh, Diamond Bar, we were um, we had a co-location with, that had about 150 machines and we were doing something similar, just um, less efficient. Now that we have it all locally, we don't have to go to a co-location to um, like administer all these slaves. We just get help from IT downstairs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I hope, I hope that nobody administers each of these servers individually. Uh, what area are you working on, Chris? So I've been working on a side project that's a tool that we use in QA. Um, that we're hoping to take to the market sometime next year. Uh, so I've been doing testing differently to try out new technologies. Uh, right now, I'm using Cucumber as my top-level DSL, and all the code underneath is written in Ruby. Um, what makes it different is that I use a combination of Selenium testing and REST, a REST API testing for kind of like getting past the browser. So what my application allows me to do is interact with the product from the REST API. So this allows me to write a whole bunch of tests without having to worry about the changes that are going on on the front end. So it's kind of like a sort of integration test, but closer to front end testing. Then once I have those tests, I actually combine it with data population for my front-end tests. So they're kind of like a hybrid front-end automated test. Mm -hmm. That sounds very interesting because that sounds like you're deeply familiar with the API. Uh, luckily, since I'm the product owner slash product manager of this project, um, I have control over what features get in. So I'm trying to create this public API so that we can uh, leverage it for like automation imports, for people to create their own widgets, for testing. So it has a lot of applications. Mm -hmm. uh, and that that is the REST API, you mean, or the API right. of your tool? Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I, I thought you, you might be uh, really, uh, really well experienced in LifeRays API. It's like if you want to create a new page, you know how to use layout service in in order to do that. Something like that. Is that true or no? I'm not. I'm not the one implementing or creating um, 
this tool right now. Oh, I have、right. a team of developers that work on it on in our、um, internal services team. Okay, I act as the、uh, product manager. Okay, then I'll need、and、to find someone、uh, in that team because I'm currently, and that is an、uh, kind of an announcement that you were not aware of. I'm currently reviving or trying to revive the old Seven Cogs、uh, sample code. Oh, <laughs> and I thought I—I remember that. I thought I found a victim there to to ask questions, but then I'll need to、uh, search on. Yeah, well, in in the portal team who is working with Liferay,、um, we're starting to look into the same the kind same kind of thing,、um, adding users, adding pages、um, with the Liferay API,、um, but we're still kind of in the beginning stages of exploring that. So I don't know if we would be very helpful at this point. Well, if you're in different beginning stages than I am, then、uh, that would be good. So I'm looking at the old 6.0 and well, 6.1 revived version of James Faulkner, but the last、mm-hmm. running version of Seven Cogs was actually 6.0. So several、uh, API changes since then, and I'm well trying to put together something that actually makes sense, that is usable, and that is、uh, executable documentation kind of. Yeah, it might be worth、um, talking about the history of how we got where we got、um, as far as testing goes at Liferay. And Casey would probably be better to give me the beginnings of that.、Um, but we've definitely evolved a lot in how we do testing over the last decade.、Um, and so, yeah, it might be it might be interesting to talk about that if you're willing, Casey.、Oh, you yeah, know what? Sure. Let's talk about the history of testing in Liferay. <laughs> yeah. All right. <laughs> All right, so I joined the team、um, back in 2009, and、uh, I came from another company that was not using Selenium,、uh, but I was kind of familiar with the, I guess, general process of test automation. So coming into Liferay, we had a bunch of tests that were written using Selenium IDE, and Using Selenium IDE, there's there's a little there's some problems with that, where you don't really have that much control over what it does and what what locator strategy it uses. It it has some preset ones, but、um, the ones that come out of the box are not they don't really work well with Liferay Portal. So what it was is we had. More or less, really big tests. So what that would look like is imagine you had a test to test blogs. We would had a we would have a linear test that would sign in. It would add the portlet to the page. It would add a, a blog's post, edit it, delete it, and then clean up after itself in one big test.、Whoa. Um. And that was different from what I was used to because when you have a failure in let's say、um, edit right where it no longer can find the edit icon to edit the content, then it would fail.、Uh, it would not execute anything after that point. So what that means is the delete test will no longer execute, and we have no idea. Um, if that portion of the product is working, so、uh, what we did from then is we started breaking things down. Where we have a test that will add, we have a test that will edit,
and we have a test that will delete. Um, so that we kind of like remove these dependencies to test other things in the product. From there, we uh, I noticed that there were a lot of different tests that were missing. Um, we had manual tests back then, but it was more like a checklist of things like, does staging work? Can you log in and can you add a message for this post? It was very simple. It was like one page of a doc, like a Google doc or something. I forgot what it was. So coming from um, a past company, I took their manual testing standards and I started hacking away at a whole bunch of manual tests that will essentially help us certify our releases. I think in my first month or two, I might have written like a couple hundred of these. I still have them on Google Docs and um, they're, they're horrible in our standards by now. But from then, we kind of got better and better at using Selenium we went away from using Selenium IDE and we started writing uh, an HTML and modifying the locator strategies that we have and adding our helper like uh, actions. Because Selenium IDE, like for example, if you wanted to add content to an iframe where it's like the uh, CK editor, there's a lot more to it than just you know clicking that area. Selenium is kind of kind of a finicky tool where you have to have it wait for things or have it target things in order for it to actually work correctly. So from then, it, we noticed that it became really difficult to create tests because now we had we have the possibility of having inconsistencies between the helper um, actions that we have in our tests. That brought us to the beginning of what we call Poshi right now, which is our internal, I guess, DSL for Selenium. And it was built off of the uh, a page objects model where you create locators based on all the elements on the page. And then you have actions underneath that have the helper methods that are general uh, built into them so that when people call it, like if they're calling a click or they're calling uh, input on a particular field, they don't have to worry about all the helper functions to interact with that object anymore. They just call it. It's kind of basically like creating a method in Java. That sounds a bit like this is also the the method that you use to maintain the tests because while you were talking about building a huge number of tests and breaking them down i was thinking about the version updates when you start these tests at liferay 5.2 and then you uh, we update some ui elements or the whole user experience up to the current version, up to DXP, then how do you maintain those tests? Because you don't want to write them again for the next version, right? You want to keep them on. Right. So as much as possible, we try to record or like try to script out the intent um, most generally. And um, the things that often change are the locators, like you said. So um, when we're using these page objects, it's basically just a variable and we try to share it across 
multiple tests so that uh, we don't have to search and replace our entire repository anymore. We just change that single locator that's being used and shared, and that would be the end of it. Mm-hmm. It's like click yeah, the and we've add article button. Exactly. Yeah, and we've seen some evolution in, and we've learned a lot about how to do that even better over the last few years. Um, where we used to um, we used to treat every page as kind of its own entity. And we would create locators for each entity on a single page. Um, but then what we realized was that made maintenance difficult because we still had a lot of duplicated effort. And so what we've moved towards is um, locators that are very general um, so that when something changes in the user interface, we can change one general locator and it's going to fix all of our tests. So it makes maintenance uh, much, much easier. Mm-hmm. And that's probably quite language dependent, right? So this is, I can imagine that the tests are running on the English version. Yes, and we can pass in variables um, to allow it to account for other languages as well. Okay, you you can, but do you? Yes, yeah, we do. When we're testing other languages, generally we'll have like an English version of the variable and then we'll have a, a variable version of that variable um, that can pass in other languages. That makes sense. You're probably also testing translations, mm-hmm. which would operate the UI in a different language. Yes. And to talk a little bit more about the locator strategies. Um, so one example is, let's say you have a form and you have a submit button or a save button. Let's call it save. Um, before, we would just create uh, a new page object entity for that particular save button for that particular form. Um, and uh, down the line, we, we changed that strategy to more or less function as, uh, as a locator for all buttons. So that is a generic button. And if we use this particular locator, it'll work whether it says save, whether it says submit, um, it'll continue to work. Oh, okay. Uh, which brings me to another thing. I kind of would like to watch along or check along. Is that test code available and open source, or is that somewhere in a private repository? One thing that we're trying to do is we're trying to actually have a presence at, um, this is sort of related, sort of unrelated, but we're trying to have a presence at Symposium this year. And I'm hoping to share some, I guess, my test framework that I have that will work on DXP that has all these generic locators. So if I'm able to go to the symposium and have a little session, um, I'll be sharing, yeah, I'll (laughs) be sharing a public repo where people can just take these. It'll be as easy as like in your cucumber text, you just say, um, I click the save button and I enter test in the name field. And what that will do is, yeah, it does exactly that. And people will be able to inspect our locators, see how they work, kind of just like break down the anatomy, and hopefully it'll help them write tests for their own applications. Okay, but currently there is nothing available yet that we could point to. Um, there, There is um, our tests for, um, for Portal are actually located in the repo, the public repo for Portal. Um, I don't know if that's common knowledge, but they're there. 
Um, so if anyone wanted to look at our functional tests that we do run, as well as our unit and integration tests, all of them are in our public repo. Okay, and I'm, I'm guessing that the ones that take a lot of more infrastructure, like Cucumber and so on, that they are somewhere else. Yeah, Correct. well, currently they're somewhere else, but when I release it on a public repo, um, it's actually not that hard to um, set up. Yeah, it's so our dream, because um, we do have our our internal tool that we've developed um, that's similar to Cucumber um, and actually becoming more similar to Cucumber um, as we've explored other options. Um, but our, our internal tool is something we eventually do want to share with the public and kind of uh, do a release at some point when it's ready. Um, but we're currently working on just kind of improving that and making that better, um, making that usable um, in more general senses. Um, but we've, we want to kind of share what we've learned um, and what we've developed um, on top of Selenium that's helped us a lot, and we kind of want to share that with the community. So, so right now the tests are available, but the tool that runs the tests is under construction. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, so the, all the code for it is in the public repo, mm -hmm. um, but we don't have any, like, any, I don't think we have any public-facing, like, documentation of how to use it yet, um, and we want to do so, a lot of improvements before we feel ready to kind of Uh, promote it and share it okay so technically the code is there and i can run it if i can make it run correct okay yeah and like that's what we know we know that like if we're going to kind of share a lot publicly and promote this then we want it to be something that's a little bit easier to use mm -hmm. and so we want to with that's one of our goals this year is to invest in making it easier to use um for other people mm -hmm. not just us okay and i've seen several testing topics also submitted for defcon which means even on my side of the Atlantic, there might be a chance to learn something more about live ray testing. Okay, we've covered uh, the Cucumber-based tests and Ruby. We've covered Selenium-based tests. And Victor, I believe you mentioned quickly uh, the unit tests on there, which is in the realm of the developers. Uh, is that right? Or are you... Uh, no, I guess you're only running them, but... Somebody else is writing them, right? Yeah, generally our developers are the ones writing the unit tests. We will run them mm -hmm. um, and potentially look at results. But um, generally we have the de developers responsible for unit tests. Um, and yeah, that just makes most sense in the way we do testing here at LifeRay. Uh -huh. Are you involved in some, uh, how would I say, some, some policies? If one of the integration tests that you write runs... Or are you writing the integration tests, uh, first of all? Um, I have um, in the past, but it's not generally part of my job to write integration tests. We, yeah, speaking of that, we were working on kind of an initiative to help all of engineering um, with to improve our test coverage and our test framework um, for the future. Um, because one of the things we found is, so the reason I want to talk about our history is because we talk about where we've come from and then where we would like to go in the future. And so like where we come from is we learned over the years how to do functional testing really efficiently, really well. We used to spend a lot of time maintaining functional tests. We barely spend time maintaining functional tests anymore um, because we just made a lot of improvements in how we, how we write our functional tests so that they're easy to maintain, easy to fix. But what we've had 
as we've grown as a company, um, as our code base has grown, as um, our testing team has grown, um, we've we've run into an issue where we, you know we were talking about how we have 2,500 servers um, that run our tests, and uh, eventually that's going to keep scaling, and we're going to keep needing more and more <laughs> servers in order to run all the testing we're doing as we um, increase our code coverage, because that's what we're we always want to increase how much we're testing. Um, we never want to stop doing that, um, but we have to deal with the fact that that's going to need to scale um, into the future. Um, right now, we have we're running over a thousand tests on on each of our um, versions of LifeRay, and so that eventually is going to grow to two thousand, three thousand, four thousand, and so we have to account for like how does that scale as we grow and the amount of tests we have. And when I'm talking about the thousand tests, I'm talking about just our functional tests, mm-hmm. um, not our integration and unit tests. Mm-hmm. And so what we found as we've looked at our numbers um, and looked at our testing coverage is that we generally have um, more functional tests than we do unit and integration tests. And so um, there's this there's this concept in the testing industry called the test pyramid um, that we are investing in, which the test pyramid says, um, that you should have more unit tests than you have integration tests and more integration tests than you have um, functional tests. So the functional tests is the small top part of the pyramid and the unit tests are the big base of the pyramid with the integration tests in the middle. Um, and so this is a, um, a concept we want to kind of um, apply here at LifeRay because we want to be able to actually scale our testing into the future um, because if we write, if we just keep writing thousands of functional tests, we're going to run into problems of just we just constantly need more servers, constantly need more time in order to run those tests. And so um, there's a huge benefit in investing in those lower level tests because they're really fast, um, they're easier to maintain, and um, they allow us to catch bugs sooner. Um, because what we actually do with our continuous integration environment is that we we run our unit integration and functional tests on every pull request, but obviously the functional tests are gonna take longer to finish than our unit integration tests. If our unit tests or integration tests fail, we will actually get a partial report back in the middle of the pull request test that'll tell the developer, hey, this this unit test broke, um, which will allow them to get faster results about what is broken and what is is not. Mm -hmm. Um, And so because of that, we're, we're trying to push LifeRay as a whole to move towards uh, this test pyramid um, idea and implement it um, for our testing so that we can scale as we go into the future, um, as we in- invest in code coverage in the future. Mm-hmm. That brings me to the uh, to how I started this question before I distracted or got distracted. No, I distracted myself. I did not get distracted. Uh, which is, is there any policy if you find any issue, does that need to be covered in a unit test as well if you go back to the developer and you say like in manual testing we have found this and that is there a policy that yeah. this must now be covered by a unit test yeah so i can speak to i can't speak to the whole department but what i can speak to is um i'm i work with the um our engineering team in brazil um, on forms and workflow mm-hmm. and we've what we started doing was Every time we have a new story or a new bug fix, um, we would evaluate it. Um, so we would say as a team, so me as QA, them as the developers, we would evaluate each one and say, hey, can this be tested at a unit level? 
Um, does this need a functional test? Can we just write an in-unit in an integration test for this? Or we have this functional test that we wrote uh, two years ago. Could we actually probably test this at an integration level and then just have another functional test that's checking the UI? Um, and so that's that's the kind of conversations we've been having um, in order to implement this on my team. Okay, that sounds good. That sounds sounds like well the the expected way. If there is a quick way, as I like to say, the unit test is not allowed to touch the disk, so it must be very quick. I don't know if LifeRay has the same policy in there, but I always had a unit test that is uh, that takes longer than a few milliseconds or then a millisecond basically is not a unit test. That's an integration test because it's too big. Uh, and, and also uh, regarding the testing pyramid, there's something that I've learned back in the time when I've actually been developing code. Uh, <laughs> oh, those times, oh, those times. I've got to take out my teeth for uh, for talking about that ancient history. Uh, the... <laughs> Uh, the the complexity of the unit tests. I still vividly remember uh, talking about layers. If you have three layers and you can test each layer in five unit tests, you have an end result of five plus five plus five. That's 15 unit tests. And if you just want to cover them all in integration tests or let alone in functional tests, you have five times five times five functional tests or integration tests because you need to cover all of the different uh, combinations of those unit tests that are way quicker in unit tests and uh, way less complex. Mm -hmm. So I totally subscribe to uh, to the plan that you've said. That, yeah, we want to run quick unit tests first and then other, other integration tests after that and then functional tests and as few functional tests as possible, but as many as necessary. Yeah, yeah, there, it's it's the idea of, yeah, as few functional tests as we can get away with, but at the same time, functional tests are really important. And we just need to invest in making those the functional tests we're using the ones that should be there um, so that those are the ones that we run and those are the ones that are catching the issues that we need to catch. And now I'm just thinking of the manual tests and having talked about what you guys actually do, you seem not to be the right people to talk about manual testing but you're probably aware if there is some and and where it's done are you yeah so i can talk to that um, as a portal team because the portal team still is doing manual testing as well um, so we're responsible for we're primarily responsible for portals functional testing and portals manual testing um, and the way the way we approach it is if it's something we need to repeat um, a testing that we need to do a lot, um, we will write a functional test for that. If it's a test, uh, it's like a one-off test that's really diving in deep, that's when we'll do manual testing. And so we we generally talk about manual testing um, under the term exploratory testing, and that's where we see manual testing having the most value. So the valuable manual testing is the, the testing where we're actually diving deep and we're trying lots of combinations and we're going in there and actually trying to break the product um, and trying to be really creative. And it's where like our creativity comes out a lot where um, um, we want to think, how could a user possibly go through this scenario? And we get to test that and play around. And that, that's what it is and that's what it should be um, as opposed to manual testing where we're just repeating steps that we have written down over and over again 
because that's that's the job that a functional test can do. And that's like the role of a functional test is kind of replace that style of manual testing. But we still value manual testing very highly in the in the in the form of exploratory testing. Yeah, that's a very good name, exploratory testing. I could I could volunteer for that because uh, well, for, first point, there is always something that I find in almost all software, even in printed mm -hmm. material, yeah. and not just on LifeRay. Yeah, the other manual testing we regularly do is every bug ticket that is closed. If it's possible to manual test, we will do that. Is there any repetitive manual testing, which is the manual testing that somebody goes through a protocol before release or something like that? Uh, hey, this has been found not to be uh, like automatic, auto, how do you say, automatable? Uh, yeah. Yeah, so only in the cases where it's not automatable um, is when we would do that kind of testing. So somewhere there's a big folder with manual test instructions that some poor soul has to go through before release. <laughs> uh, we yeah we generally we generally try to avoid doing that because what we've done in the past. Um, so we so if we we generally would invest in automating if 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 that was the case, then we would really invest in automating those cases. Okay, I guess a few remain, or at least the latest ones remain. How thick is the folder? <laughs> we don't have like a big folder anymore of like manual tests. Um, we will we will create um, scenarios if we need to, um, but generally we try to do our all our manual testing on one off basis. Um, be, like I said, because we don't want to have that huge folder to maintain for lots of different versions. Um, so our manual testing is generally one off. We'll create scenarios one off, um, and then those will go away, and we'll continue. Um, on and if it's something that needs to be repeated again, we'll just really invest in automating it. Um, we actually don't have very many scenarios that are, are not automatable. Um, we don't actually run into that very often. Okay. Um, should we then go for the next technology? Is there any more next technology that anybody is working on or has been working on in the history? Because uh, Well, we've started with history. We might as well uh, go back and see what we have done in between and maybe what has been superseded by what. Is there anything that comes to mind? KC, I guess. Hmm. Trying to understand that question a little bit. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, are you asking about if there's any new technologies uh, that we're looking forward to using or well e either that or is there past? or is there any old technology that we used and that we have uh, or that was superseded by something newer apart from for example manual testing before they were all automated Uh, do you do you uh, still remember some old scenario? Actually, any any kind of technology that you feel familiar enough to talk about? Hmm. I mean, we, we kind of touched on that with Selenium IDE, mm -hmm. which is what we used originally. Yeah. And now we're just using Selenium WebDriver implemented in Java um, in, in order to make our testing way more efficient than just using Selenium IDE. Mm -hmm. Speaking of which, I I have learned about Selenium as the remote-controlled browser, which I guess is Selenium IDE. And when you say runner is in Java, then there's probably no browsers running anymore, but it's just a Java process that that sends all of the requests. Is that right, or is that something different? Um, 
It still um, starts a browser. Uh-huh. It so, sends the commands to a web driver server, which mm-hmm. then will interpret those commands to your browser. Oh, so actually, somebody somebody <laughs> could watch the tests running in a browser. Correct. Yeah. Now that's interesting. That would be you should live stream that two thousand five hundred different live streams <laughs> 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 of all the tests running. Yeah. It would be crazy. And it allows us to um, do cross-browser testing uh-huh. because we can uh, we can implement the commands and uh, account for for differences in different browsers and then potentially implement the command differently based off the browser. Um, but that's all done on like, the lower level of um, interacting with the web driver server. Now, now I've got some thought running. So I think there's a job for uh, one or two interns to actually int- implement this live streaming. I want to see that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's um, it's pretty cool to watch. Yeah, maybe maybe not on the scale of 2,500 uh, computers or live streams, but uh, a single one would be okay. And then if I can switch that single one uh, to another server, that would be cool. Yeah, but all of our functional testing is done on a real browser. Mm-hmm. Are you aware, because the last episode that I've recorded and sadly not yet published, at least at the time of this recording, was about performance testing. And uh, one of the things that I always liked in performance testing is you basically try to generate as much load as possible on the servers, so as, as much load as the servers can handle. And then I was always thinking of, hey, why not generate huge amounts of loads on the server and then run a functional test with a browser on it in parallel so that I can actually see how does the server behave under load uh, just with a visual check. Is anybody doing that? Are you aware of that? Or should I go back to Preston and ask him about that? <laughs> um, I, yeah, I'm not aware of any like current people working on that, um, but that is something we've discussed and want to do. That's like kind of something like as we look at our roadmap for the future, that's definitely on there. I currently do that sort of in um, the application I'm working on. Instead, of, so one of the differences between the tests that run for Portal and the tests that run in my application is that in Portal, each each slave that is executing a test has a designated life rate portal that it's testing against. Mm-hmm. So it's many life rate portals and many testers, right? In my framework, I have one instance of the application and many server nodes or many slaves hitting that same node, testing all at the same time. Oh, okay. So you'll have to sort them that they don't test the same things, right? Right. So I have a, I've basically just thrown a variable that will make sure that each slave will not step on another slave's data. It just injects it into the data it populates. That'll be interesting to see. And another part for the live streaming. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you're asking about um, certain uh, different technologies that um, we moved away from. Yes. Uh, one of one of the things that we moved away from is the way we actually uh, record test results. Mm-hmm. So, uh, f- or over the, the over the years, we went from using um, Excel spreadsheets to record test results, to using Google Docs. And then now we're actually 
building out our own test management system where we record all of our tests. And um, that is something that we're moved onto. And because now that we're able to record all of our test results in this system, we're able to create features that allow us to analyze results a lot faster. So you, you know about the, you know, 15,000 or 1500 plus functional tests that we have to run. Somebody has to look at those results. Somebody has to know whether or not a failure is a bug or whether or not it's a test fix or what's going on. Right. Yeah. And it, it can get pretty tedious because then if, if we're running these every day or um, running these periodically, we need to know, we need to keep analyzing those. So we have a, feature in this system that will if you analyze the result um once you can actually have it look at another run and if the problem is still there it'll let us know it'll be identified that oh yeah this is this is the same so i will put the notes from the last uh analyst and put them into that new run and that actually saved us a lot of time that it takes to analyze a full result set from where it would take us maybe two to three weeks to analyze a complete build of LifeRay Portal to now it only takes us a couple of days at the most. I would I, I would actually say it's like two to three hours now. Whoa, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah. And that's analyze as in what goes wrong and there, uh, there's a lot to go wrong or is that analyze like how did these tests perform because it's still like two or three hours for a full build you don't want to do that all the time right so if it's let's say there's 1500 tests um of those 1500 tests we can have like 500 test failures so how do you go about analyzing 500 test failures in a couple of hours um, oh, especially yeah. when you can have a possibility of, you know, you can have potentially 500 problems. So how do you do that that fast? Um, so we have, yeah, that feature that allows us to make it so that we only analyze a problem at least once. And we're making new features that allow us to um, get through that analysis process faster and faster. I'm kind of shocked. How, how can 500 tests go wrong? Like how can one third of tests go wrong? Is that common and <laughs> that's, what's the repercussion that's, uh, yeah that i think he's just using it as an example um uh it depends on like for us we we don't have 500 tests go wrong um thank we'll, you we'll more have like thank 50 you. tests go wrong <laughs> um don't worry um i mean there was a time when 500 tests would go wrong um when we were, were not writing our tests as in a, such a way that it was easy to maintain and easy to keep them working um, but we've made a lot of improvements in the last years of fixing that so that now we only have maybe 20, 50 tests um, that fail on each run of our full tests mm -hmm. uh, run. Okay. Whew. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that, that sounds a lot better. <laughs> Sorry, it was just an example. Okay. Yeah, I can imagine that uh, that might happen like with the one commit that now enables single page applications. Uh, I can easily imagine that right. it breaks 80% of the test. That's the one that, yeah, that's the one where we have hundreds of failures yeah. when they do that. Yeah, I guess so. Um, but we, yeah, and we our, our test management system allows us to kind of like failures together really easily. So like maybe 20 tests failed, but it's all for the exact same reason. 
Um, so like because the sign-in locator broke or something, um, we can easily just group all those tests together, analyze it once and know how to fix all 20 of them with one analysis. Right. So the system will basically group it together. So you see one entity and it says, hey, this is one problem and here are the tests that are affected by it. Okay, I would be very interested in seeing some kind of a UI. Is there anything that you can share for the show notes? Like take a um, few screenshots or is is it there's rather AC, it's on the the testing the testing white paper we released. Oh, yeah, it is on the testing. There is a screenshot. Okay, then I'll just link that one. That would be a good one to link. Yeah. Um, yeah. That one was approved. Um, we're actually trying to uh, have, like I said, we're trying to have a presence in Symposium. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, if I do get a presence there, I'm going to try showcasing this test management system at the Symposium. So that's a call to the listeners because Symposiums, as well as DEF CON, they are the one way to actually get all of your questions answered. As I like to say, you can corner the engineers, you can corner the people that are there and ask your questions and not leave, let them out there. Uh, so, <laughs> KC, you, <laughs> you, you now um, will be cornered, I guess. <laughs> now I'm a target. Okay. You're aware. <laughs> That's fine. No, Victor is aware. Uh, no, I, I am. I am. Yeah. I am aware. <laughs> 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 okay so uh, those of you who have not gotten that just a rem reminder to look at the show notes at victor's family name <laughs> okay our notes say rinse repeat as long as there are more tools that come to our mind and as i'm not the testing specialist in life ray but you are is there any more tool that comes to your mind so I mentioned before that I use a different test framework than what the portal team uses. Um, I'm using Ruby underneath instead of Java because of this tool that I think is really great or this thing. It's a gem called Capybara. And I mentioned before that working with Selenium on different application requires some, uh, we call it massaging, where it, it doesn't work as you want it to work. You have to kind of help guide it to work on your application. What Copybara essentially does is it has all that stuff figured out for you and um, you use their DSL to, to script out your actions and that gem will do the rest, which is great because then the less you have to worry about, the uh, less code you have to have to maintain and stuff like that. So that's one thing that I say that we that I've moved away from mostly just because it's been easier to uh, implement tests on top of. Uh, so how do you spell that? Copybara? Yeah, C-A-P-Y-B-A-R-A. C-A-P-Y-B-A-R-A. Yeah, they named it off of the animal. It more or less looks like a big, what is it? Oh, yeah. A big gopher. <laughs> okay, yeah, I see Wikipedia is the very first... First one here, Hydrocaris, Hydrocaris, <laughs> whatever Latin name in a kind of a German-English pronunciation, eats plants. The other thing that I started doing in uh, my tests is there, 
they're all headless, but they all have the ability to um, spin up a browser. So what it does is uh, there's a different type of driver called, uh, there's a Copybara WebKit, which uses a JavaScript driver instead of WebDriver to run tests. And that will not use a browser to test. And then um, if I did want to test with the browser, what it will do is it will create uh, an XVNC display instance, and it'll open up Chrome in that um, display instance and execute tests. And what this will allow you to do is it allow you to run multiple tests um, on the same machine in without it conflicting with each other. Multiple browsers. Right, yeah. Because what will happen is if you did that locally, I mean, you can you can start multiple instances of WebDriver and just have it execute in your local machine. But what happens is like if you have an alert, it will put that in the forefront of or the focus of your browser, and that can conflict with the other browsers that might be active. <laughs> so oh, if yeah. you put them in different displays, then they never conflict with each other. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's smart. Yeah. Makes streaming harder. <laughs> I, I tried getting... Um, so I have I also have my own Jenkins infrastructure and um, I have the ability to watch a test as it executes using because um, it is XVNC instance you can just VNC into it and look at it mm-hmm. um, but there was this plugin that doesn't work for some reason uh, which allows you to record the session and to keep it when the the uh, test fails or the build fails um, but it's not working for some reason. okay well we have the plan for interns uh, already communicated Uh, bring more (laughs) interns yeah the the technology I wanted to talk about is similar to what Casey was mentioning which is um, we're we're starting to explore um, docker in order to um, do the same thing buzzword alarm (laughs) yeah buzzword alarm but like um, in order to to allow us to run multiple tests on one machine um, while still using a real browser, because it can just create a virtual machine, a virtual um, sorry, virtual monitor, um, allow us to just run the tests. I I started playing around with it um, in my workflow, where um, it's really cool that we our functional tests can spin up a browser and show us what's happening right in, right on our machine, right in front of us. Um, but sometimes I want to get other work done while the test is running because I just want to verify that the test passes. Um, and so what I created was just like a Docker image that will run our portal functional tests um, in a headless br- browser. Well, it's it's still a real browser, it'll just, but it'll run headlessly mm-hmm. um, in the Docker image. And then I can keep working on other things and then come back and just look at the test results, um, which is what we're doing on our servers anyway. Um, so it allows me to kind of do that. And I wanted to mention that we, we do use um, Jenkins um, for our primary server farm. Um, in order to maintain that and run, execute all of our tests. Um, and we're, we're currently investing in um, applying Docker to our main server farm um, so that we um, have less issues um, with repeating the same environment on all of our servers. Um, so, yeah, I think it's uh, that's something worth investing in. Yeah, it sounds like it. That's, a, that's actually a really good use case lots of machines that do almost the same thing but just uh well different different details with all the tests mm-hmm. i'm assuming uh, yeah that yeah it's okay to, to so, say all the tests are the same thing almost right 
And all of our servers have to install the databases, have to install the web browsers, have to install Java. Um, and like we have to make spin up on all of our servers that. And so Docker would make that easier to do all of that setup. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we're actually testing all of the different permutations of application servers, databases, browsers, and so on, right? Yeah, we, we have different servers that have those um, permutations so that we can test those. Um, we use like a main permutation for most of our tests, and then we have tests that test on other permutations as well. Okay, so it's yeah, not all of the tests running on all of the different permutations. Um, yeah, on our for our functional test, no. For our integration test, yes. Okay. Makes sense. Yeah, just because we have so many tests, we wouldn't be able to run all of them on every single database and application server. It would take too long. Shocking, but good. That's a good problem to have <laughs> to have too many tests yes, to run. Yes, it is. <laughs> okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and we keep an eye on these um, on a dashboard that we have displayed at the office. Um, I think all... I'm not sure if you have to VPN into the LAX office, but if if you do, then you would have access to the dashboard that we use, which has all the uh, the, the status of the environments at all times. Mm, okay. Is that one of the projectors that is always visible in, on one of the uh, walls of the office? Yep, upstairs in the engineering room. Uh, we have uh, metrics on the environments that we're testing, our complete full battery array of tests against the um, CE and the EE branches, and then status of all of our slaves and uh, who's using the PR tester, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that's public all the time. I remember. Oh, uh, not public, but well, more no, public. Pub yeah, internally <laughs> public. That's it's like it's it's all uh, <laughs> visible in the office as soon as something happens, basically. Right. Exactly. Okay. Okay. Then let me see. I'll share something with you, which I'll add to the show notes. I guess one of these uh, will be a good illustration for uh, for you guys. Uh, knowing that now 20 to 500 tests can fail in the functional way uh, and that we have a built monitor. I think this uh, geek and poke uh, single image describes it quite well. <laughs> That's the 50 shades <laughs> of green. <laughs> so let's think of the test monitor as such. Uh, okay, we're back in the rinse and repeat section, I guess. Is there anything more that comes to your mind? Because I'm I'm out of technology to ask for. I have actually I have one more question if we ran out of uh, technology. And the one question that I have is actually a numerical one. Uh, typically, I love to tease people with the when question, but as you don't release anything, well, other than for symposium, hopefully, I will ask the how much question, and that is the, uh, do you have any idea of the coverage that we have? Uh, are we measuring them? I have seen several measures on unit test coverage, and do you know the order of magnitude? I know that the different modules were quite 
different. So some were more had more coverage, some had less coverage. But are you aware of, let's say, the best, uh, the the outlier there, the one that is covered best? And is that maybe a project that you are working on? Yeah, I mean, I don't know how much specifics we want to get into, but um, just pick the good we, ones. Like, yeah. So like, I've been I've been running numbers um, on on all of our modules um, in order to see our test coverage and calculate that. Um, particularly because we're investing in the test pyramid and we wanted to see what does our pyramids look like for each of our components. Um, and so um, there's, yeah, if I want to call out one that comes to mind, um, we have um, our, one of our developers on our search team, our search infrastructure team, loves, loves unit tests. Like he considers himself, considers himself a unit test fanatic. And so if you look at the test pyramid for search infrastructure, it's beautiful. There's a lot of unit tests, a good chunk of integration tests, and a few functional tests, um, which is the way it should be and the way we want things to start looking as we look at all, all of our other modules. Okay. That sounds good. So there's uh, there's one that we that we can uh, take a look at. Uh, can we take a look at that? Do we have any any illustrations there? Any graphs that you can share of the pyramid? Um, what I do have is um, we did we did a, a public webinar um, on this whole test pyramid. So if you're interested in more details about that, um, that's available, and we can probably link that in the show notes as well. Um, but we kind of go over the philosophy as we see it at LifeRay um, and ideas for implementing it. Um, so we have that. Um, if you're a uh, an employee of LifeRay, we have an internal one we did um, that I can't make publicly available, but um, you could reach out to me and let me know and I can send you the recording of that. But that'll go over more details, the specific um, spe specifics for implementing that here as a developer at LifeRay. Okay. Well, the webinar sounds good. And it feels like people are now switching off the audio part because we've been talking for quite a while and are rushing to the video. Uh, webinar <laughs> probably is somewhere recorded on YouTube. Well, we'll, we'll see. It'll be, uh, it will be linked in the show notes for this episode. And, uh, well, there's probably another hour or so to watch. I'll have to admit I almost forgot about the webinar because I was aware of it, but I said in order to to have less questions where I have the idea of the correct answer that I'm expecting, I'm not going to watch the webinar up front, but this is now something that I can do. So I have something to do now for the next uh, whatever time uh, for the next weekend coming up. Uh, which brings me to the one question we ran out of technology we ran out of uh, the uh, the other things we've covered a little bit of the coverage is there anything that i have not asked you but should have asked can i i want to mention something else about coverage um which is um that we uh i think the 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 way people generally approach coverage is let's let's get to 100% or let's like let's map it out and get the exact number. Um, and the problem with that um, dream is that it's not really a reality. Um, you can't always get to 100% coverage. And so we're we're trying to be realists and we recognize we can't get to 100% coverage. So what we've been doing is really investing in identifying risk 
identifying areas where um, bugs are more likely to happen, um, where coverage is most needed. Um, so for example, like automating regression bugs that happen, like those are like high priority to automate, to have regression tests for. Um, mm -hmm. And kind of looking at the product as a whole, looking at trends and test failures, looking at trends and bug tickets um, in order to identify areas of risk. And those are the areas where we put emphasis on getting higher coverage. Um, and then areas where we know there's not as many issues, then we won't put as much emphasis on that. And so it allows us to have realistic expectations of what coverage means um, in that we, we cover high risk areas uh, as much as we can um, and then lower risk areas second. So that, that's kind of the way we approach it. Okay, yeah, and that makes sense because I mean I would like to I would beg to differ, but in in a very rather uh, grammatical way than on the content level because it's totally easy to cover a hundred percent of all of your code with tests. They typically just no with like unit tests. Yeah, with, <laughs> with unit tests, so it's yeah. it's trivial mm -hmm. to cover all of the code with one hundred percent of unit tests even with integration tests. However, they typically don't have a lot of meaningful asserts and, and actually tests uh, in there, but they will cover every mm -hmm. single line. Mm -hmm. So Yeah, and so the goal is that we have our test pyramid the way it should be, which is, yeah, we're covering most of our lines in unit testing, um, but we still need our functional tests and we need to make sure we're doing the right functional tests. So we're testing the right things um, at the right in the right way. Yeah, and, and actually testing. So uh, just to make that clear, it's yeah. it's when I say it's trivial to get one hundred percent coverage, uh, it's you just need to to write code that uh, basically covers every single line of of code in your uh, in your testable code, but then just stop the test right there. Don't do any asserts after that. Don't do any cleanup. Don't do anything. So you basically just cover. Yeah, but you don't have any test. Right. It, you could have 100% code coverage and have a a, an, an, a product that's not quality. Yeah. Um, test coverage is not equal quality. That's right. And we know that. Yeah. Um, and so that's something as as our department looks to, to the future, um, I think QA is traditionally thought of as testers. So the people, at least at LifeRay, the people who test the code after it's written. Um, and we, we want to see ourselves move towards the idea of we're actually just invested in quality, not just testing. Testing is one part of what quality is, um, but we really want to invest in quality of the product as a whole. Um, and so that involves looking at the test pyramid, that involves having more of a relationship with our developers. That involves like QA being much more involved in the development process rather than just testing a finished application. And you've got my buy-in there. Yeah, and that's something we, I, I think we're already doing. Um, like on my team, um, I, QA is a part of our sprint planning meetings. Um, QA is a part of our stand-up meetings. QA is a part of our, our meetings with our, with designers in order to look at the product before it's even made um, so that we can try to, you know, we want to try to break it before it's even created. Yeah, and then you break it whenever there's a pull request that does not run all of the tests. <laughs> yeah. So uh, that that is actually the the technological solution for it, but uh, I'm happy to hear that you're in there a lot earlier. Mm -hmm. Well, then uh, we I actually took a bit more of your time than we negotiated on, so I'm very happy that you stayed on. And uh, well, thank you very much for your information, for the time, uh, for the uh, explanations. Mm -hmm 
for putting me right on track and for correcting me when my impression was wrong. Oh, and for the number. The number got it all started. I was curious what what became of the 150 servers. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Um, and thank yeah, thank you a lot for having us and opening up this conversation. Yeah. Okay. And then you can, or, or the listeners can corner or try to corner Christopher and Victor or Christopher or Victor at one of the next events that we have, North American Symposium, DEFCON. Uh, both should work. Sign up before it's sold out. Okay. With that, uh, thank you very much. Have a nice day. Sure. See ya.